You're listening to Medically Unbiased. Unbiased. Offering an unbiased discussion about all things medical. See? An unbiased opinion. Medically speaking? Yeah. Medically Unbiased. So in a world full of fact-checking autocrats, one thing appears to be constant throughout both of today's social media and mainstream media landscape, and that's that facts don't really matter. The constant I'm referring to is that although facts appear to be subjective based on one skewed perspective, for instance, if a fact-checker were to assess Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, which claimed that Paul Revere rode to Concord, Massachusetts on April 1775, screaming, the British are coming, the British are coming. Fact checkers would quickly jump on this as a lacking of context, or maybe mostly false, stating that not all of the British are coming. Ironically, the fact checkers would not address the actual fact, which is that Paul Revere never actually said this. This has been shown in movies, it's in history textbooks, as if it happened, and today, one of the most well-known lies told to the American people about that moment is believed to be factual. Most Americans today can attribute the line, the British are coming, with Paul Revere, but it didn't happen. So the bias in media today, combined with the echo chambers found throughout social media, has created two succinct camps of people, those who know and those who think they know. The one group that appears to be lacking is those who don't know. These groups are filled with a number of experts who have acquired their Google doctorate in numerous areas of study throughout the last year, which would make any brick-and-mortar university squeal with envy. From the newly minted epidemiologists and the freshly graduated lawyers, Google research has provided some amazing doctorate-level diplomas to those who chose to seek such education. Now, this cannot be understated. There are more people today that believe false facts than there are fact-checkers providing more false facts to people believing the opposite of the fact-checkers' facts. This does not mean that fact-checkers' are facts are actually actual, factual. It just means that their perspective may be skewed or narrow in scope. Now, I dare you to try and make sense of this because it's nearly impossible. What we will continue to do on this show is bring you the news and information available and help you sort through the nonsense and discuss both sides without bias. We appreciate you tuning in. So how you doing, man? I'm doing great, dude. That sounded amazing. I like it. Well, thanks, like man. We're going to try and do some new stuff on this show. Uh, try and do a monologue at the beginning of the show. You know, very, very media savvy. I'll be writing up some monologues. So what you hear is me reading what was written earlier. And then uh, we'll go through a few things. We also have a new segment for the for the podcast, which I think is going to be fun. It's a news headlines segment. We have a new bumper, a uh, little bit of music to come in. So it's, uh, I'm trying to spice it up a little bit, add a little uh, fun to the show. I like it. <laughs> so last week we mentioned that we were going to highlight uh, Andrew Cuomo. And his failure to be a good, decent human being. I mean, no, his failure to uh, protect people from COVID, correct? Correct. So I've, I've downloaded a bunch of articles, and I just want to go through a couple things. So 
if we go back, if we, if we go back in time, if I could go back in time and listen to some of the stuff he said, which we can do, but it's kind of hard to find because, uh, as I said in the opening monologue, mainstream media wants to delete a lot of that and, you know, messes with things. So in on March 2nd, 2020, Cuomo is mentioned here in this article from buffalonews.com that he is urging calm as New York confronts the arrival of coronavirus. So one day after the first confirmed case of neuro- coronavirus, he said, it's deep breath time. Twelve hours after that, both houses of the state legislature in New York agreed to pass what became a controversial bill uh, that night that Cuomo requested to appropriate $40 million in state funds to pay for both equipment and staffing to facilitate the response for the efforts you know, to help keep from spreading this virus. Yeah, uh, That legislation, which granted him kind of a ton of supreme lawmaking powers single-handedly because of that legislation, which did pass, isn't up until April of this year. So it gave him like a whole year of powers. Um, So he can, through those powers, he could in, issue any directive, including suspension of certain laws during a state disaster emergency, which he declares, he single-handedly declares the state of emergency. So he can declare a state of emergency, and then he is now given all the powers that are necessary to do whatever he wants. He can eliminate rules, make rules, make guidance, whatever. Yeah. Um, so he made, well, he, first he said that uh, New Yorkers should not be overly concerned about the virus and that far worse epidemics have hit the state. Um, he expects some community spread uh, due to the densely populated area as the five boroughs. Um, but he also said that, uh, where did he go? He talked about Trump and that he has no complaints with how Trump administration has handled the response to the virus and that he expects Washington to help New York state with the costs associated with its own response. He did say that, you know, the reality is reassuring and we should relax. He noted that 80% of positive virus cases get self-resolved. And the mortality rate of the coronavirus is estimated at 1.4% compared to 0.6% rate for the seasonal flu. This was all stated by him back in March of last year. So almost a year ago now. It was March 2nd, so it's coming up on a year. Well, because he was able to write all that legislation and do what he wanted, he wrote this. uh, Well, he didn't single-handedly write it, but it was written that nursing homes are mandated to take patients, COVID patients. So they were discharging patients that didn't need ventilator or hospital support and sending them either back to or admitting them to a nursing home in the area to help at the time they wanted to help with what they estimated to be a large surge of patients going to be coming into the hospital. Sick patients. The irony is here is that uh, this was all done not just with him, but with his uh, head of the commissioner of health for the state of New York, which is Howard Zucker, who's a doctor. He's an MD. He also has his JD, his Juris Doctorate. So he's dual, you know, 
dual doctored. Um, he Zucker signed that executive order from the state that these places were supposed to do this, that all these nursing homes were supposed to take these patients. So the, it was on March 25th that he signed this memo, right? Um, and it gave, it told all of the, no resident shall be denied admission uh, or admission to the nursing home solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. Um, now, Howard Zucker cited that March 13th Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services guidance during a news conference. He said that uh, that's what he was utilizing as the guidance. However, the CM as guidance was that nursing homes should admit any individual that they would normally admit to the facility, including individuals from hospitals where a case of COVID-19 was or is present. Nothing in that guidance says that they're COVID positive, just that they were in a hospital that had COVID patients. Yeah. Right. Um, Zucker went on to refer to the, that document that says nursing homes quote, can accept infected patients, knowing that they need to, quote, follow transmission-based precautions is very important, unquote. So he was worried they were running out of ICU space, and I guess at the time, hospitalizations were doubling every three days. Now, the irony in all of this is that I think I'm going to highlight part of and I'm not going to give Cuomo a pass or give Zucker a pass for that matter. Zucker's no. the the doctor. I feel like he's kind of directly responsible for some oh, of this. Yeah, he owns it too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, Cuomo's taking the pounding, right? He's taking the pounding in the media is he? from uh, Is he? Is he? He heard this is 8 hours ago. Let me just read okay, this to yeah, you yeah, real quick. Please do. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says he should have been more aggressive in calling out reporters and politicians for lying about his his handling of the COVID-19 deaths among long-term care residents. Cuomo, who has been accused of covering up the truth scope, the true scope of the death toll among the vulnerable population, said during a news conference this past Friday that he didn't combat the misinformation about the situation enough, and it hurt New Yorkers who lost loved ones. Yeah, he's, so now he's he's saying he's that flipping he it. Well, right. Yeah. He also has blamed the workers. He blamed asymptomatic or COVID-infected workers at the facility. You know? Yeah. So if you go through the timeline of what he's done, starting back in March, right? Um, so in March, he issued that order on the 25th that... Uh, the state department issues a direct the department of health issues a directive to nursing homes, instructing them to accept coronavirus positive residents returning from hospitals. If they are medically stable, which if you're COVID positive, were you medically stable? I don't know. At the time, many hospitals, particularly in New York were overwhelmed with patients and they were trying to free these people up March 26th. The next day, the wall street journal reports that uh, this directive has been signed by the governor and the, mm -hmm. Howard Zucker, Dr. Zucker. April 3rd, the uh, Cuomo signs the state budget, which includes sweeping immunity protections for nursing homes. So he, he immunized them from legality 
of death, a provision that was buried in this giant $40 million spending bill that most legislatures were not aware of. So he, he kept them from being sued for the failures here. And then on April 9th, an operator of one of the nursing homes, in, now this is a very important fact that an operator, one of the nursing homes in Brooklyn asked the administration, which because they were supposed to ask to transfer people, if they could transfer residents suspected of COVID-19 to the Javis Center, which had been set up as a federally run coronavirus field hospital, or the USS Comfort, which was docked in Manhattan. Both of these locations had the ability to take care of COVID patients, and this nursing home in Brooklyn was trying to get rid, not get rid of, or transfer the patients out to prevent, I'm assuming, to prevent their other people from getting sick. Both emergency facilities that I spoke of remained empty, pretty much mostly empty, for the entire time they were there in New York, and the state denied that transfer request, mandating this Brooklyn facility keep those COVID-positive patients in the facility. Um. So on the 23rd of April, Cuomo says nursing homes do not have the right to object to the state directive, adding that if they can't properly isolate COVID-19 patient residents, they must transfer those residents to another facility or ask the State Department of Health for assistance, which is ironic because a few days earlier that had been done and on the 29th and denied, right? So why would anyone think that they were going to help if it's already been asked Answered, denied. Now, on the 29th of April, moving forward, um, the state allowed staff in an upstate nursing home who tested positive for COVID but were asymptomatic to continue to come into work. And this is where he's getting this one date is what he's using as the argument that all of these people were infected with employees because this one facility up in upstate New York allowed COVID-positive workers to come to work um after this happened however they issued another guidance that said they're not allowed uh, nursing homes that any asymptomatic staff member who tested positive for covid must wait 14 days before returning to work so that was then issued on that same day yeah and then it wasn't until may 10th that cuomo rescinded the nursing home directive so from march 20 5th to May 10th, that order was in effect, so 40 days, give or take, right? Yeah. Now It's not good. No. The irony is is that, um, where did it go? I do know that the, the CDC and the federal government, oh, yeah, in mid-May, middle of May, the federal government began requiring nursing homes to provide data on COVID deaths both within their facility and for residents who died after getting sent to a hospital, making retroactive data available from when New York was at the peak of its outbreak was optional, which likely led to lower federal total tally than what the state was reporting. So they could optionally report this data. They weren't mandated to. So Cuomo on the May 20th says that he's following the federal guidance federal CDC guidelines. However, on or before the May 20th date, the document that talks about him or that has the 
all the information says that from the Department of Health website is removed from the website. So that March 25th document has been deleted from the website. Of course it has. However, there's a ton, a ton of people who've kept it. Now, that just goes to show you that people were already skeptical. And there was like bunches of entities that were, tons of entities that were already skeptical of his, of what he was doing, right? And they'd issued letters to him and comments saying, hey, this is not good. You're going to kill, you know, grandma. You're going to kill all these people. So I have a copy of the advisory. I printed a copy. Nice. So I got to frame that and put that in my office to just show how horrible he was of a human being. Um, Well, well, yeah, I mean, the CNA report, you know, uh, as CNN report of last Friday, you know, residents of long-term care facilities account for more than 15,000 confirmed and presumed COVID-19 deaths in New York since the start of the pandemic, according to the state uh, department of health. Until last month, the state only publicly reported the deaths of those residents who died in a facility not those who succumbed to the virus after being transferred to a hospital or elsewhere. And of course, Cuomo goes on to say, it is a lie to say any numbers were inaccurate. That is a lie. (laughs) Total deaths were always reported for nursing homes and hospitals. He says, well, they're saying that the numbers were always there, but they didn't differentiate between. Right. Yeah. He said, if you died in a hospital, irrespective of where you came from, you were then a hospital death. But if you died in a nursing home, you were a nursing home death. And I remember him saying, Who cares? All the time. So, in that regard, he was transferring patients to, he's having patients transferred from nursing, to nursing homes from the hospital and did not allow for the patients to be taken to the USS Comfort, which we know was docked there in Manhattan. Yep. He didn't allow him to be taken to the Jarvis Center, or how you ever say it, Jarvis Center, Jarvis, Jarvis Center. Um, anyway, now I'm going to have a little bit of a different perspective on this, I, get, I think, than most of the media does today. He is under a lot of fire for what he wrote and the executive orders he created and what he did. Now, the mainstream media on the Republican side would like to say that he did this to, you know, to prove, and he wouldn't allow uh, patients to go to these facilities because he didn't want Trump being shown as helpful to facilitate Trump's loss in the presidential election. I honestly do not believe a word of that. I think that's malarkey. I don't think that this was intentional. I don't think Cuomo is smart enough to purposefully make it bad for any other politician. I think he was acting on perceived, you know, fears that were being touted by both Fauci and the federal government and the CDC, as well as guidance from his medical director, his doctor, Dr. Zucker. So, you know, yes, he issued the directive and yes, since he issued the directive, he's come out and said, Oh, well, it was blah, blah, you know, like an idiot. But why? I don't know why he's doing that. However, what I think is that these facilities themselves should have never accepted patients that were COVID positive. 
Just even though there's a directive, even though there's a mandate from the state, he is not a doctor. That mandate, the people who run the facilities should have been easily able to say no. Now, it may have cost them, and they may have had to fight to keep their licensing, and the state might have come after them, and there might have been a big scuttlebutt, but guess what? At the end of the day, they would have protected their patients. So if you're a nurse and you see a doctor doing something wrong, your job is to stop the doctor from doing something wrong. So if a doctor wants to, in the middle of a surgery, if a doctor wants to remove the right leg when you're supposed to remove the left leg and you argue with the doctor, if you just sit back idly by and allow the doctor to remove the right leg when they're supposed to amputate the left leg, you're culpable as the nurse in the room. So do these facilities, even though Andrew Cuomo issued that amendment to the situation where they couldn't be sued or they were held harmless, yeah, I think the facilities have some culpability here. And that may be counter to what the mainstream media wants to believe, but as a medical professional, I just feel that it's imperative that the medical facilities stand up for what's right, irrespective of the guidance from the state. Just because you can do something maybe doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of facilities here in Las Vegas that won't take patients for whatever the reasons are, even before COVID. Correct. But I'm saying in this particular now instance, there's a directive they had to. I, I, but they, I, I know, but you're telling me, I mean, we don't know. I mean, we don't know officially how they felt about it. Maybe they were telling him no. Maybe they were trying to stand, stick up for their employees. Maybe. I mean, they're putting the blame back onto the employee, the employees of the place anyways. We already know that asymptomatic carriers, I mean, at least there's been some data that we have talked about on mm-hmm. this podcast right? that are not contributors to the spread of COVID-19. Right. So, you know, they they made, you know, they, they they're, they're saying... Uh, first off, they're they're not saying that they're not saying they're sorry in a sense of you know when you're talking about Dr. Howard T- Zucker. Zucker said ultimately he feels that they made the right call with the widely debated March 25th order that sent thousands of COVID-19 patients to the nursing homes. Right, and it's never going to you're never going to be able to quant- we're never going to be able to quantify the amount of people who are impacted. In other words. Would they but, have but or would they not have gotten yes, COVID? Yes, but here's what here, you know, when, when I keep reading this this article, March 25th was not the driver of COVID infections. It was not the driver of COVID facilities. The facts are the facts, Zucker says. Then he goes on. <laughs> right. Yeah, really? Uh, no, they, invest, so, no, they investigated themselves and they found themselves not guilty. <laughs> right. Just, then, you know, it, it was a huge investigation. Asymptomatic employees were the main cause of COVID-19 spread in long-term care facilities, according to the health commissioner. He said his department identified 37,000 nursing home staff members infected with the virus last spring. Hmm. That's no really. Like, when did they figure that out? Because that was never mentioned. 37,000 infected last spring? That was never mentioned anywhere. Zucker said 98% of the 365 facilities that received COVID-19 patients from a hospital under the admission policy already had the virus prevalent 
in the facility when those patients were submitted. It, it's basically they can't even back. prove that. No, they can't even prove that because there was not enough testing. The, they, in fact, started doing their own testing in New York because they got approval to do it from from the federal government. So they started doing their own testing, but that so, wasn't until like April. This is interesting, and this is kind of what you were just talking about. He did. He said 132 nursing homes that never took a patient under the policy still had COVID-19 fatalities. So there were, just reading that, there were facilities that said, uh, I don't think so. F you. Um, we're not no, that's not these. what that says. It says that they never took one under the policy. It doesn't say that they refused to take one. It just says they didn't. Maybe they didn't have to accept anybody because no one sent them anybody. Or maybe they just said no. Now, it doesn't say that. I mean, we though. don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say they say refused. Otherwise. Right. So it doesn't say they refused. Because but they're, what, they're, what they're getting at, though, is that 132 nursing homes, and these nursing homes could be, I don't know, as south of New York as possible. <laughs> I mean, and I'm, I'm not, not saying, saying that the people that work in the facility didn't have it, but I'm saying that it's just weird that you're going to send COVID-positive patients to an area that's incapable of taking care of a COVID-positive patient. I know, but I mean, we don't even know where these 365 facilities they're talking about. They're all New York. 365? Yeah, I know, but it could be upstate New York. Nah, they're, which, they're all over the state. I mean... I don't believe that they're just pulling data from, you know, upstate New York. I think they're pulling no, what, data from all over. I'm giving I, them the benefit of the doubt here, but uh, sure, sure, sure. I'm just saying that if you want to show that there are facilities that didn't take the didn't take a patient, well, why is that? If there was a mandate out there and there was quite a bit of nursing home people, patients in the hospital, everyone should have been taking patients. But I'm saying the mandate is that you can't refuse one, not that you have to take one. It's worded. It's worded that you can't refuse one. And that's what I'm getting at. So the so 132 were outside of the, the the main area that they were concerned about. But if you're so full, that, if you're full, you can't take more, right? So if they were already full, or they and part of this is that you can't take. You have to take your patient back. So if you had a sick patient that you sent to the hospital and they got tested and were positive for COVID but they didn't need medical intervention, you had to receive them back. You couldn't refuse them back into your facility. That's part of this guideline. Yeah. So So, Zuck, so hey, so Zucker says we made the right public health decision at the time and faced with the same facts, Tyler, we would make the same decision again. Of course he would. He's going to, he's going to stick by that, which, you know, honestly good for him for sticking to his guns, even though they're wrong. You know, I don't understand. Like no other physician or nurse practitioner or nurse in the country would agree with that assessment because as as early as this started, we knew that it affected elderly people worse. There was info coming out of Italy that nursing home patients were giving it to each other and negatively affected. And that was a month or two before we really got hit hard in New York. So And we knew and we knew Italy was gonna we knew after the fact that Italy hit it so hard because of their elderly population. Correct. Their average age was much higher than here in the United States or other, other countries. Correct. So, and they, you know, they're densely populated in the areas that were hit. So same with New York, but see their July, that the New York July 6th 
study. They did, an, they did their own investigation of themselves and posted it July 6th, which stated, analyzing COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes, attributing the high death toll to asymptomatic staff and visitors rather than from COVID-positive patients transferring into homes under the state's former directive, which according to the report was about 6,300 residents who were transferred. So out of the hospital, out of 6,300 residents were transferred out of hospitals under the original March directive. At the time, the state reported about 6,200 nursing home residents had died of COVID-19. So. But of course it was the asymptomatic carrier. That's who had to have done it. That's all. That's what we always talk about. It's the asymptomatic person. It's your fault. You're fat. The asymptomatic fork caused you to get (laughs) fat. COVID. The asymptomatic fork. <laughs> um, oh, and on July 24th, Cuomo is touted as like saying that in New York it's the 35th in the country in terms of nursing home deaths. 35th as a percentage of total COVID deaths in this. So 35th out of all the states, he's 35th in terms of nursing home deaths. Now, would he have been saying that if they'd counted their numbers accurately? Probably not. No. They'd have been number one. <laughs> that's one time you just don't want to be number one. Right. You know, let's just, let's not be number one. So anyway, on this document from Rebecca Lewis did a really good job. This was posted today, February 22nd. Um, uh, it's a healthcare policy document out of, uh, was it cityandstatenewyork.com. She goes down and, and goes through this timeline step by step and breaks down all the details. Now, the reason we're able to find stuff on Cuomo is because both parties hate him right now. I mean, yeah. the Republicans don't like Cuomo because he's Democrat, and the Democrats don't like Cuomo because some of their family members died in nursing homes in New York, and they're trying to find a, a patsy, a scapegoat. I'm not saying that Cuomo isn't an idiot. He's a complete buffoon, period. However... I can't necessarily hold him personally responsible for this situation. There was a lot of medical professionals that failed in the in the meantime. A lot of medical professionals out there failed. But at the end of the day, though, he's the final one that's going to make the decision. How is that possible? He's not a doctor. He's not taking care of patients. I, he's I, not involved I, in I patient care. So Okay, so where is the physicians that were up there saying... It was only him. Remember, he was the only one in front of those cameras. I understand. He won an Emmy for it, Tyler. I know he did. It's crap. So he was getting advice from physicians. But at the end of the day, he's got to take that all in as a non-medical person. Right. And disseminate out that information back out to the people that he was on the air for. Right. So they can then... Say, oh, yeah, you must be right. Look at him fight for <laughs> supplies. Yes, I need masks and ventilators. We need all the ventilators, 25,000 ventilators or whatever. We need a boat. We need a boat. That with, can hold 25,000 people. But that we won't see six patients. People. Yeah, I'll say, yeah. He gave him the benefit <laughs> down and said 100, but no, it was really six. I think it was like six, six patients. There were six COVID patients. Correct. They were either, supposed to be clean. Either way, the point here is that, yes, he's a horrible human being. And, yes, 
but he also followed the logic of other horrible human beings that obviously realized that their guidance and their guidelines were wrong. Now, they knew from the get-go this was bad because there was... I'm trying to find out what we're talking here because I type, printed it out. There were three separate entities that highlighted the fact that this was a bad idea. Three different like groups, which was... One was the um, American Nursing Home Association. One was... Uh, Run it out. Um, trying to find the names of them, and I can't find them. But the, I know there was three separate groups that sent scathing letters and scathing reports about this, and said that you know there's a problem. Yeah, there's a big problem. But they said they said that immediately. They didn't say From this the beginning. Yeah, they didn't say it like in hindsight, right? Post hoc analysis wasn't, oh, gee, maybe we were wrong. We shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, no, that was immediate. They said that this was a problem. Like these three entities, these three regulatory bodies that, you know, part of Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, and watchdog groups for elderly care. Whoops. So, I don't know. It's kind of a mess. I don't know if it's ever going to get fixed, and he's going to take the brunt of it. Zucker won't take any of it. Yeah, well, he apologized to Dr. Zucker, by the way. Of course he did. Let's go to break. We'll come back with a new story. Medically unbiased. Alrighty. So last last week, I mentioned that I was wrong in my assessment of deaths. Remember that? Yeah. And I I have no problems admitting when I'm wrong. My assessment in the beginning of this whole thing was that there was going to be more people just shuffled around. We wouldn't we wouldn't have more deaths than we otherwise would have. You know, there'd be three, 2 million, 2.8 million people die annually-ish. There'd be that again. Um, however, after I ran the numbers, as posted by the CDC, I found that I was wrong in my initial hypothesis from a year ago. Okay. So, so in wh- what... All cause lay, more, lay the facts. Lay the, the facts the out. The facts baby. are here, man. I have the numbers in my hand. So, for all cause mortality, I'm only comparing 2019 to 2020, 2020. Okay. okay? So 2019 to 2020, there was a over the course of the difference in the year, there was 463,364 more deaths in 2020 than there was in 2019. So of those. 449,508 were due to natural causes, leaving 14,000 additional deaths for the year due to other issues such as robbery, murder, suicide, the list goes on. 
accidents, you know. Okay. Um, however, when you break down the, the top cases or the top reasons for death, um, there's, there's a kind of an interesting find. So there was, of, of throughout the year, right? So for the year, there was, what, 360, sorry, 358,333 COVID deaths. That was at the end of last year. Now, they keep touting this 500,000 number, and that's accurate. Yes, 500,000 people will die from COVID. However, it's unfair when it comes to statistics because it's not accounting for the end of the year and the beginning of the new year. So nobody says, in 2020, there were 360,000 deaths. This year, so far, we've had 140,000 deaths. Nobody says that. Yeah. They just say 500,000. So you think it's... Mentally, I think people are like, from the beginning of the year? You know, even though we know that that's not the case, that's still, I think, being touted. In, anyway, so of the 463 all-cause mortalities, right? So 358, I mean, that leaves 100,000 additional deaths that were not related to COVID. And so if we eliminate COVID, I'll just forget for a moment, statistically, eliminate the COVID deaths from the number, that would mean that we grew an additional 100,000 people died from other reasons not COVID-related in the okay. U.S. over the year, which is a a 400% jump from the year before. The year before, 2018 to 2019, was 25,000 more people died. From 2017 to 2018, 15,000 more people died that year. So... This gives you at least a 400% jump in non-COVID-related deaths. And so I started breaking down where those came from. There was 12,000 more from between 2019 and 2020. In 2020, there was 12,000 more diabetes deaths, 10,699 more Alzheimer's deaths. Uh, There was 1,100 more septicemia deaths. 3,700 more influenza deaths than the year previous. There was 24,946 more heart disease deaths, 7,600 more CVAs or cerebrovascular diseases, 22,600 more signs and symptoms of abnormal clinical and laboratory findings not elsewhere classified, (laughs) and 300 more uh, nephrotic syndrome deaths. However, there was less, 6,000 less chronic lower respiratory diseases and 4,500 less malignant neoplasms. So overall, oh, and there was 14,000 more accidental deaths, I said. So that's falls, accidents, suicide, murder, poisoning, assaults, operations of war included in there. So soldiers who died um, in operations, uh, medical and surgical complications, and legal intervention. So that includes... If you were on death row, you're included in those facts as well. Now, that means that this this will never get investigated because there's so many COVID deaths, it'll be glossed over. But I think it's important to look at this and say, oh my gosh, there was a whole bunch of extra people died, and why? Now, it can we can break it down by month, and I didn't necessarily do that, but I can break it down by by month to show you know, where all of that data is coming from because it can show month to month exactly. I can show week to week, actually. 
the the government CDC breaks the data down pretty well, and then you can go in and pull the data how you want it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put in an Excel spreadsheet I mean, and go to town. It's t- it's it's definitely interesting, but it's very plausible though. I mean, you figure with the lack of people wanting to go to the hospital for any acute care issues. Well, and the fact that we weren't doing any acute care or any elective procedures in the hospital for a good two months. Yeah. So I know in April and March or April and May, excuse me, they shut down elective procedures. So we weren't doing caths. How many of those people, not just us, but I mean, across the U.S., how many people died from a heart attack because we didn't do a chest pain, elective chest pain cath that may have caught, you know, 90% of people. 10,000 more people. (laughs) I mean, it's... it's, Right. 20 some thousand, right. The numbers are there. Yeah. And and we already highlighted months ago that there was, you know, 80% decrease in STEMIs. 80% for two months, there was 80% less STEM, which we know that doesn't just stop. Those are happening. People just aren't coming because of COVID. Correct. And and we're unfortunately we're seeing the increased numbers of death that's not related to COVID, but it's related to COVID in the sense that they didn't want they were afraid to be treated. Yes. So because of the whole COVID scare of being told, you know, stay away from the hospitals, stay out of the hospitals. We don't want to inundate. What they failed to to say is if you truly are having an emergency, come to the hospital. This is not just about COVID. Well, you potentially could be sick. They, listen, they ended up saying it. Right. It just was months after the fact. Right. Well, I, mean, I think I we they, missed a great opportunity to separate and have unit hospitals that were directly, specifically COVID hospitals and hospitals that were not specifically COVID. Now, in the beginning, there was this fear that every hospital was going to have patients and they were all going to be full of COVID patients, right? And next week, we'll outline why Fauci sucks. We already did have Cuomo sucks this week. We'll do why Fauci sucks next week. But the point here is that we were under the impression initially in March that every hospital was going to be triple booked with COVID patients and the ventilators were going to be used for everybody and we'd all be living in a bubble. But we are speaking for Las Vegas. I mean, there has been... I'm sure if you went down to Ground Zero, New York, I'm sure it was a hellhole. Well, I had friends that worked that left their regular job and went to work in New York for premium pay as a as a travel nurse. Okay, and they said and? that it was hellacious. It was crazy. Yeah, you know, it was super busy, and there was a lot of sick people there. And I'm not dismissing that fact at all. I just think yeah. that we estimated, we as a society estimated that there would be way more patients initially and i'm trying to like give everyone the benefit of the doubt because we didn't really know how this thing was going to play out in the beginning so it's very easy to monday morning quarterback this knowing that having the knowledge we have now and go into this and say oh yeah sucks to be you you know what i mean so i don't know it's kind of weird but i do have a new segment of a new segment that i want to highlight it's called Headlines. So, headlines today in the news. What's new? Well, according to thecrimson.com, which is a Harvard uh, website, uh, medicalexpress.com, breitbart.com, they all ran with this story 
that was uh, published and it, it was accepted as a journal pre. I have a pre proof um, for this journal entry by uh, Eugene Richardson and uh, a PhD Momin Malik um, and some others. Anyway, in this, they talk about how reparations for American descendants of persons enslaved in the U.S., how giving them money, and they talk between two hundred and eight hundred fifty thousand dollars each, would have impacted positively in a benefit the SARS. COVID-2 transmission rates among the African-American community. I read the story. I read the article, excuse me. I say story because it feels like a story. Because well, there's a not, lot I of, can't even comment on that. Like it's like that. Okay. It's, I need to hear more. It's the high, the hypotheticals in here take a lot of liberty with fact. Um, and make a lot of assumptions. So, so they say that similar to the outbreak in South Korea, they compare the outbreak in South Korea to Louisiana. So they just went and what randomly picked an area, and they didn't even say where in Louisiana was it a depressed area in Louisiana? Is it an affluent? I don't know. So South Korea has ten times the population density of Louisiana such that if density per se were the major determinant of epidemic severity, we would expect rates of infection to be much higher, which is why Andrew Cuomo was saying that they were having problems, but they weren't in South Korea, right? So Louisiana reported nearly 40 times the number of cases per 100,000 people in South Korea. So that's their area that they, one of the areas that they looked at pretty heavily. So, it says, I, can't, I don't even know if I can read this because it's so it's so crazy. Yeah. In general, and I'm not saying that good or bad about reparations. There's no judgment here. I'm saying that this does not correlate with a medical problem. Um, in general, a program of reparations is intended to achieve three objectives. Acknowledgement of grievance of injustice, redress for the injustice, and closure of the grievance held by the group subjected to the injustice potential mechanisms by which reparations through monetary compensation and acknowledgement of injustice could have suppressed the world's largest outbreak of COVID, uh, SARS-CoV-2 include one narrowing of the path dependent racial wealth divide two, changes in the built environment, fostering the ability to social distance three spreading out of frontline work across racial groups, and four, decreased race-based allistic load, or allostatic load, excuse me, I misspoke. Wow. Uh, yeah. The Neither, however, addresses excess exposure, which is structured by institutional racism. Therefore, de facto, it resembles a modern Tuskegee experiment since massive wealth distribution could have averted these deaths just as penicillin to treat syphilis would have averted deaths in the nearby state of Alabama. I I, I don't even... like the, This is a news article on multiple sites, including the independent.co.uk. So it's a, it's a 
in the UK. It's in three sites that I found in the US. I don't even know how to correlate that. So if we had given these descendants of slaves to between two hundred and eight hundred fifty thousand dollars, they wouldn't have got COVID. So if, I don't, how, if we're just I, looking at the not like it doesn't even make sense. So if we're just looking at the numbers, are they saying wait 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 are they saying because Korea has more wealthier people that they didn't get? No, they're just comparing Korea because it's a densely populated area and has a population that didn't get sick. But they just picked Korea. I mean, they didn't. But pick how are they basing Mexico it off of and money that they potentially could have had? I can't find that in there. It's it's purely this. It literally takes a cliff dive and goes from the assessment of within the white subgroup was held constant at one point. Like it goes through the whole. It it's very study lingo, but there's yeah. a disconnect between how the money correlates with, you know patient survival i don't i don't get that because if we're talking about rich people didn't uh tom hanks get covid he's yeah. kind of he's kind of a rich guy right uh, there's a there's wealthy people that have died from covid didn't uh elon musk get covid he's kind uh, of a rich dude i, I think, think he was uh, yeah i think he did i think yeah. he did too so i'm just saying money i don't yeah, money my, doesn't fix the it, it just doesn't make sense to me. So, I mean, unless they're basing it off of if they would have had the money, they wouldn't have been living so close together and maybe they would have been in big houses. And, but that's, but that's, man, that's, that's making that's a shit reaching. ton of assumptions. Man. Oh, that's reaching. Yeah. I thought so too. But yet, multiple papers ran with that as news. So, if you only well, read the headline, you don't read the actual article, you only read the headline. It's kind of a mess, right? Yeah, I so mean, it makes sense why multiple papers would, because it's it's showing the race had you know. Well, it's a hot button topic now, right? It's very big yeah. now in the news. But anyway, so Texas is big in the news too because they got really cold for the first time in a hundred years. Really and cold, right? like really yep. freezing cold below zero, uh, and they had a lot of problems. So February eighteenth on MedPage today. They talked about the dialysis crisis, and we didn't even—I didn't even think of this because I don't take. I mean, I see dialysis patients, but I don't see them because they're dialysis. They happen to be a dialysis patient, and I see them for cardiology. However, yeah. during this whole time, water supplies were broken, electricity was down, and most of these facilities don't have generator backup systems because they're in Texas, where it's normally seventy degrees in the winter time. Correct. So they don't have an infrastructure for any type of any. Any type of weather under, say, 32 degrees. Right. Or a tornado. <laughs> I mean, they have tornadoes. But the point here is is that dialysis wasn't done for a week on lots of people. So oh, yeah. Teresa Novak was a nephro- is a nephrologist at the University of Texas in Austin, and she said that half of dialysis centers across Texas, that's more than 750, that serve some 54,000 patients or being affected by the power outages. Um, some of the patients were not getting their uh, dialysis on the fifth, they're on the fifth day without dialysis. And you and I wow. both know that we've seen patients come in missing one dialysis and having major problems. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, one doctor in Baylor at the College of Medicine in Houston said that even the peritoneal dialysis patients, and for those that don't know, peritoneal dialysis is done at home, but these patients were struggling without power because they couldn't warm their dial- dialysate bags. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't even infuse their own, they couldn't do dialysis at home. 
Man. Um, and the outpatient clinics don't have generators to function, right? And then Frenia's kidney care said about half of its Houston area centers were impacted by a lack of water. They didn't have water. It wasn't just power. There was water, like frozen pipes and broken pipes. Yeah. Um, so Davida had the same problem there. So after the week of craziness, it's been getting better. But um, they said that in the tornado or the Hurricane Katrina situation in Louisiana, there was a lot of planning that went into what could happen and what could potentially be a problem in those kind of catastrophes, right? How would these dialysis centers mitigate that? And that's been discussed by different dialysis groups around the country. However, what they didn't do is plan for a freeze in Texas. They failed to plan for Texas being two degrees below zero or five degrees below zero plus with a wind chill. Of course. Which, you know, how do you, I guess you don't plan for that stuff until it shows up, right? So yes. they're doing better now. But that was a, I thought that was an interesting article because it shows that things that we don't think about in mainstream media, all of a sudden it's a problem, right? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I had a friend that lives in Dallas and I was talking to him about what's going on. He thinks he's, they were doing, the interesting thing is they were doing rolling uh, power outages purposefully because of the high demand of electricity that the whole state was suffering from. Yeah, exactly. Their infrastructure couldn't even handle the high volume of electricity that was being pumped out to these homes to keep them warm. Right. You know, working all their equipment and stuff. So they were doing rolling blackouts. I almost felt like California again, (laughs) just crazy blackouts to, to, and the interesting thing, and it's not medical, but it, but it can affect people that are on budgets and stuff. Right. Oh yeah. So, so not, not only did you find grocery stores empty because they couldn't deliver food to a lot of these stores. I mean, they were bone dry. The only thing that was left was like wine and beer. (laughs) And then the other thing is gas, like gasoline. Couldn't get it because it wasn't coming in. And then the other thing is their power system has multiple power companies and they all compete. And the power system, you pay you pay X amount of money for kilowatts. And then as the demand goes higher, those prices go up and the power companies telling people to cancel their services because they know that they're going to be gouged to pay the people. Yeah. I've heard there's $1,500, bills being sent. Correct. Auto debited from accounts. Yes. And they're, te- these are residential residential accounts the same business accounts is a residential accounts and these my buddy was saying that they're insurance you know they're they're the companies themselves are like just cancel with us because then you don't have to pay <laughs> wow because they're hedging you know they hedged for you know they're he- they give you lower rates because they don't expect high demand but when right. there's high demand your rates can go a buck a kilowatt or whatever it is something ridiculous Wow, that's insane. And it's insane because, I, I don't know, when does that happen? Every 100 years? 
Yeah, right. Like well, that's the, what they said. It's a hundred, like a like hundred year storm. Kind of like depending. It's odd that it happened back to back, though. <laughs> right. So, another article. We're gonna do. We'll do a total of five of these. There's a couple more I gotta do. So, the CDC study says teachers key to COVID nineteen infections in one district in Atlanta. So, you're gonna tell me that. <laughs> Uh, hold on. You're going to tell me that the teachers are the problem now, not the students. At least they, at least they know, right? So one yeah. study finds that teachers may be an important drivers of COVID-19 transmission in schools. So this paper released Monday by the CDC said that studies nine COVID-19 transmission clusters in elementary schools in Atlanta, in a suburb called Marietta, from December to January. In one cluster where 16 teachers and students and relatives of students at home were infected, four clusters showed uh, that the teacher was the first one documented to have the case. One That one cluster was a student was the first person, and the other four, case, other four clusters are undetermined as to who started the problem. Um, the 8,700 students in the Marietta School District, like all but a handful in Georgia, has been offering in-school in-person classes since fall of 2020. Superintendent Grant Riviera said more than 90% of elementary students came back in person, making some classrooms relatively crowded. So all of the Marietta clusters also involved less than ideal physical distancing, and two main reasons for COVID spread of these schools were inadequate physical distancing and mask adherence, which, so the mask is a problem, I guess, now. So they gotta wear, must have to wear masks. But the CDC again advised the schools need to pursue multifaceted strategies. It says the ironic thing: this whole case is in the seven cases transmission quote may have taken place during small group instruction. Doesn't say it did for sure. It says may have hypothetically by students could have contributed to the spread. May have taken place. Could have contributed. It's all vagary. Mm-hmm. And as we highlighted in last week's podcast, we don't even know if the COVID testing is for really truly COVID-19 anyways. Right? So those True. people could have tested positive showing COVID or, or showing some form of COVID because we they're not investigating any more than, oh, it came back positive for COVID, but it could have been SARS-CoV-1. It very well could have been. Or whatever. Right? It very well could have been. So I'm going to try and play this article or play this uh, thing. Joe Biden was speaking three days ago, and he talks about something. Let's see if it plays. Let's see here. I'm sure uh, it will. I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. We'll have to try and play it off of my phone because let's see if it works. Joe Biden comments. If it doesn't, I will find a way to make it work. Did you say Joe Biden? I did say Joe Biden. This guy sucks. Oh, just saying. <laughs> Come on, man. Just... <laughs> so you got you have you have your volume up on your yeah. phone, right? Well, yeah, the volume's up on my phone, but the problem I'm having is getting it to play on your the, slider. Well, getting it to play through the Bluetooth, right? So, um, this is off of Rev.com, but they play. They, they they explain the info that uh, he was saying based on the whole 
the whole situation. Uh, but anyway, Biden's talking about, he says, just over four weeks ago, America had no real plan to vaccinate most of the country. My predecessor, as my mother would say, God love him, failed to order enough vaccines, failed to mobilize the effort to administer the shots, failed to set up vaccine centers. That changed the moment we took office. I directed Jeff Zients, my COVID-19 response coordinator, to lead my administration's work with the vaccine manufacturers to buy more vaccines and to speed up their delivery. Albert referenced it earlier, and I want to thank him for making it happen because we worked together. We're now on track to have enough vaccine supply for all Americans by the end of July. That doesn't mean it'll be in all all Americans' arms, but enough vaccine will be available by that time. These orders allow facilities like this one, where he's at, to plan ahead, accelerate their production schedules. Now, in the beginning of that, he highlights of that, and that's a snippet, it's a one-minute snippet of something. He had a big, long speech there. Um, but according to military.com, TRICARE, which is the insurance that's provided to military veterans and you know retired vets, yep. TRICARE yep. users are frustrated by the lack of information on COVID-19 vaccine availability. Uh, Naval Medical Center in Portsmouth, Virginia, retirees over age 75 who received their first COVID vaccine in mid-January have not been able to get their second dose within the recommended time frame due to lack of availability. Now, mid-January, Joe is already president. Right? Yeah. Uh, Eisenhower Army Medical Center in Georgia and other locations across the military health care system Vaccinations have been suspended sporadically for beneficiaries 75 and older due to supply problems. Mm-hmm. But I thought Joe just said he, he fixed it. And it's he's going to have a plan. So Come on, man. I know, right? I know. Come on, man. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a thing. Um According to the Wall Street Journal, uh, we're going to have herd immunity by April. So that got that going for us, which is nice. Um, amid the dire COVID warnings, one crucial fact has been largely ignored. Cases are down 77% over the last six weeks. Yeah. If a medication slashed cases by 77%, we'd call it a miracle pill. So why is this number of cases plummeting much faster than experts predicted? Maybe because, in part, natural immunity from prior infection is far more common than can be measured by testing. Testing has been captured only from 10 to 25% of infections, depending on when, during the pandemic, someone got the virus. Applying a time-weighted case capture average of 1 in 6.5 to the cumulative 28 million confirmed cases would mean about 55% of Americans actually have natural immunity. What do you know? And 60% is heard. Yeah, right? So that's what they're saying. So now add people getting vaccinated as of this week, which is 15% of Americans have received the vaccine, and that figure is rising. Former Food and Drug Commissioner Scott Gottlieb estimates 250 million doses will have been delivered to some 150 million people by the end of March. Now, there's 330 million people in the U.S. So if Gottlieb is the former Food and Drug Commissioner, he estimates 250 million doses... That means it needs another 250 million doses to vaccinate 250 million people. Sure. That leaves 100 million people unvaccinated 
in the U.S. Johnson and Johnson, baby. Right, the one dose, the one dose shot, one dose, the one mm-hmm. dose shot. Mm-hmm. So there is reason to think that the country is racing toward an extremely low level of infection, which is funny because no one's mentioning this. It's not even talked about, right? Uh, there's survivors of the 1918 Spanish flu that were found in 2008, uh, and they had memory cells still able to produce neutralizing bodies for the Spanish flu. Uh, researchers at Sweden's Krolaniska Institute found that the percentage of people mounting a T-cell response after mild or asymptomatic COVID infection consistently exceeded the percentage with detectable antibodies. T-cell immunity was even present in people who were exposed to infected family members but never developed symptoms. A group of UK scientists in September pointed out that the medical community may be underappreciating the prevalence of immunity from activated T-cells. Kind of cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So originally, um, about one in 600 Americans has died from COVID-19, which translates to a population fatality rate of about 0.15%. And that was originally months ago being touted by everyone back in March as way more than that. (laughs) They were thinking it was going to be 1%. Because flu had a 0.6%. This has less than the flu, according to the numbers I read earlier from Cuomo. Yeah. Right? So, this guy's prediction is that because the fact that we're, uh, we got so many people vaccinated and so many people have had it, that they expect herd immunity by April. Well, that that is a possibility. We're going to have to see. we have to see. So, um, I mean, you got your shot. Yeah, I got mine, which I didn't really care about, but I got it anyway. And how do you feel about on it? Eh, eh, I don't really care. Don't really care. So, all right, man. To get mine. Yeah, you still got to get yours. You haven't got yours yet. Mm. -mm. You get the first one or the second one. I haven't gotten any. See, here's my dilemma with all this: is that one, nobody cares. Nobody cares if the people are posting. I got my shot. I got my whatever. I don't care. Posting all over social media. The other Yeah, but thing. I can tell you, listen, if if there's so many people that are going to either A, get the, the shot or had COVID or build antibodies or whatever, mm-hmm. let's say it's shot. Mm-hmm. Do you really think that they still want to be wearing a, a damn mask? No, I don't think so. No. I don't want to be wearing a mask anymore. I'm sick of wearing masks. But I mean, I don't get the be- what am I supposed to do? But a tattoo on my forehead says "vaccinated." Like, how do I? I'm just saying, like, once you know, that, that's the whole point. Get the shot. You don't have to wear the mask. Yeah, that'd be nice. But that's not changing. No. Now we got a commercial break, people. Welcome back 
to medically unbiased. And we're back for more insanity that is medically unbiased. Well, my popular name, <laughs> right? So to all both of our listeners, please do us a favor, rate us on iTunes or Spotify or uh, Podbean, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just know that five stars is the appropriate rating. Um, that's the number that is the appropriate. That's the answer to the question, just so you know. We like answers five to stars. questions. Five stars is the appropriate rating. And that's how you uh, let the world know you love our show. So, moving forward, what do you think is going to be the plan of attack for the country when it comes to eliminating masks? I would say normal. Fauci says we're not going to get back to normal until end of the year or more. There's been reports from other people saying that we're not going to get back to normal. And he even Fauci even mentioned something about normal. What's normal? Define normal. Shut up. Yeah, right. So... When, when, if we're going to reach herd immunity by April and we're going to do all this stuff and everyone's getting better and everyone's getting vaccinated, what does it take for me to stop having to wear a mask and not have a Karen yell at me for not wearing a mask? Nothing. The answer is no. The answer is going to be we're never forever. We're stuck here forever. Once again, <laughs> for the first off, you cannot. You cannot know that you got vaccinated. I don't know that. I'm I mean, just saying, when can we go to the point where I don't, I don't want to wear a mask, but if you want to wear one, fine. Someone could, I'm not going to judge anybody for doing that. I won't judge anybody, but we need to get back to the normal function so of the, masks when it so becomes the 200 million people. Yes. The 200 million people that have gotten vaccinated already or whatever that number is, 20 million, whatever that number is, who knows mm-hmm. what, I, I don't even know what that number is, but do you really think that they went through the whole vaccination and risked themselves getting this vaccination so they can continue to wear a mask so they can continue the social distancing so they can stay away from their loved ones? No, I, I mean, once I again, so. it, no, of course not. But it, once again, I feel like, you know, it's everything, you know, well, just be careful. <laughs> We're going to give you the shot, but just be careful. <laughs> now CDC has new guidelines that came out February 2nd. That's telling us we need to wear, we need to have double layer cloth for our masks. I, I and know. Don't, <laughs> and don't wear an N95 because that's for people that need it. Yeah, don't, don't wear an N95. That's the most appropriate mask to actually wear in this instance. I think like, well, why are we, it's a year into the pandemic, dude. Why are we double masking now? What, what's the data? What is the science that tells us that having two masks are better than one mask? I, I don't know. Or, or double layered or whatever. No, of course not. Why would we know that? It, they're probably like, they're probably like this. They're like, Psst. hey, this is the uh, mask manufacturers. Psst. I can double my price if you can just tell them. To double the material, <laughs> <laughs> right? Then, right, we we could really make some good money, and I'll kick back one quarter for every mask, <laughs> and I'll put that in your sold. coffers. I'll put that in your coffers, and uh, you'll be set. <laughs> it's just so annoying, dude. Like, 
this is the stuff that really aggravates me that really should have been or should have been out from the get-go. Right. There's no way that we have found new data out there on this disease that requires double masking. There's no way. There can't be. First off, we were we were studying this pro this disease in a laboratory. Right. I'm pretty sure. Now that now remember these the people in the laboratory are wearing the full hazmat gear. But I'm pretty sure though it's not they're not double hazmat gear. Well, I have an article that I was haven't quite brought up yet, but there was research being done in 2012. It was published in 2012. And it's about the 2002 SARS-CoV virus, the first coronavirus one, the first coronavirus, SARS yeah. virus, that they developed. And Fauci alludes to it in a, in a comment he made a couple of days ago that they were already doing research into an uh, antiviral or a vaccine, which yeah. ironically at that time they had developed it in mice just hadn't done the human testing and the first dose was on day zero and the second dose was 28 days later. Mm -hmm. So who's to say that they didn't just take that particular virus or vaccine and put it against this virus and then say, okay, how do we ramp this up? You know, speed up some human testing, some human trials and then go from there. I'm not saying they did that, but nobody's, you know, explaining how it got done so fast but it normally takes us years to develop something years, but well, I think this okay. is already in the, in the works. Of course it was. And that's okay because I'm fine with it too. Cause Biden is now looking, focusing his efforts on eradicating cancer. <laughs> yeah. Did you read that? That was, his, that was his comment. That was in his, <laughs> no, that, well, it was a comment. It was, it was in that, where he was at that factory talking about, yeah, right. you know, the show. he's like, and then we're going to get our resources together and, and, and eradicate cancer. There's no reason <laughs> to have it. Well, I, cancer. I, I really like what the governor of South Dakota says here. I'm going to play this clip if it'll play. Because I think it highlights the ideology of masks and, and the questions amongst the, the double masking, everything about it. So okay. let's see. Uh, you've been re- resistant to uh, implement mask mandates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're skeptical of their efficacy at times. I never said that, Joe. Don't put uh, words in my mouth. Well, humor me here. What I've bit. said is the appropriate mask at the appropriate time, utilized correctly and kept sanitary, can make a difference. But I also oh, gee, that's kind of what we've been saying. The appropriate mask yeah. at the appropriate time, right? So don't believe it's my role to mandate that people wear a mask. I've left for the entire year it up to personal responsibility to make the best decisions for them and their families, and I'll continue to do that. So now that the CDC is recommending two masks... Well, the CDC has changed their recommendations many, many times. In fact, we've seen the CDC change their recommendations based on political pressure in the past. I choose to rely on science and data and facts. And masks can work in certain situations if you're wearing the right kind and you're doing it appropriately. But I'm not going to mandate it. It's not an argument over whether masks work or if they don't work. I've never argued that. What I argue is the mandate. 
I think the mandate is inappropriate for government to come in and mandate that somebody wear a mask. And I think it's inappropriate for us to shame people who choose not to wear a mask. That's not what America is about, and it's not what South Dakota is about. So no double mask mandate coming? Not coming in South Dakota. So um, I will not be doing that. That's for sure. <laughs> I, love I love that. How that I love how that reporter's like, well, just humor me. No, no, reporter. No, we're not going to humor gonna, you. Because once I humor you, you're going to take that clip, and then you're going to say, oh, look at she did say, <laughs> right. you know, those words were put in her mouth. Well, I have to say the numbers in South Dakota are no worse or better than anywhere else, and they haven't done masks. They don't mandate masks. Now, there's businesses in South Dakota that you have to wear masks. Like Home Depot is a national chain, and they've mandated that on their properties you got to wear masks. And the Walmart. federal government. Yeah. But, well, the federal government only if you're not the speaker. But anyway. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So Biden implemented masks for all federal buildings. Blah, blah, blah. Right, right. But I'm saying in so, South Dakota specifically, the governor has not, from the beginning of this, there's not been a mask mandate. Now, in Florida, I have family that live in Florida. They don't wear masks in Florida. Nobody wears a mask in Florida. You do when you go to Home Depot. To these, you mm-hmm. know, large corporations, but you not when you earn lows and stuff, but not when you go to, you know, the local store or your friend's house or driving around or in nobody well, wears masks. I was driving up to Provo last week. Yeah, hockey and time. yeah, and I I went into a gas station, you know, one of the little podunk gas stations on the way up to uh, Provo, mm-hmm. and I walked in, and of course I have my mask on, but I noticed nobody else was wearing a mask. I immediately took it off. Yeah, right. I'm like, well, they're not wearing masks. I don't, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be the only guy in here wearing a mask. Like, I feel stupid. Well, the irony is, is nobody would have probably said anything to you for wearing it. Nobody would have no. knocked you for wearing it. But probably not. But the the flip side is that the mask wearing Karens, like we've highlighted out there, if you're not wearing one when everyone else is wearing one, they say something. So yeah. why does it not work in the reverse? I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. It's one of these days we need to. Sense. One of these days we got to get rid of this whole mask thing because I'm done with it. I'm just done. <laughs> Why the hell? I mean, I'm vaccinated. My my uncle's brother's nephew's cousin's probably vaccinated. I mean, everyone's got been sick and had it, and we're approaching herd immunity. Let's just yeah. get rid of this. I mean, the numbers are down, and they're not down because we're wearing masks. We've been wearing masks from. Freaking April. We're going on yeah. 365 days to slow the spread. It's yeah. coming up on a year. We're almost to the yeah. one-year anniversary of this whole insanity from shutting the city down, the government down. And so what three words come to mind over these, this last year? Because we are obviously coming up on a milestone. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the best milestone to be coming up on, but I think it needs to be recognized. What three words come to your mind when you think about what we've dealt with over the last three years? I mean, last three years, over the last year. What three words? Yeah, you can summarize it in three three mm, words. That's, you that's, want me to start it off? Yeah, that's tough for me. I don't know if I could do three words. I'm a wordy kind of guy. Well, I'm, my first one is <laughs> pandemic. Well, who yeah. would have thought we, you know, right off the bat, I think to myself, who would have thought that we would have been saying pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. Right. The other word would have been, um, it's something that I've noticed lately as, as far as deliveries of product back order. Oh Sorry, yeah. Sorry, your product's on back order. What's back order? 
It's Amazon Prime. It should be here today. I ordered it before 10 a.m. It should be here. (laughs) It's coming from China, man. It's on back order. (laughs) It's back ordered. And then I would say the third one is perseverance. All the stuff that we have dealt with as a, well, first off, I'm, I'm an, I'm a registered nurse. You're a registered nurse. You know, the stuff that we dealt with, the, the, the tragedies and the, and the people that survived COVID, you know, not everyone who's 90 dies of having COVID. Right. True. I mean, no one, no one talks about that. Right. You know, they say, Oh, you know, God, you're, Super high risk. Well, guess what? There are 80 and 90 and 70 year olds that are positive for COVID and walk out of the hospital. Never barely have symptoms. Congratulations. Maybe, you know, maybe some respiratory, obviously they're in the hospital, but the reality of it is, you know, those perseverance back order. And the other word is pandemic pandemic. So I would say time, I would say time because this was a lot of time to reflect on what was important to us as a, Mm -hmm. as a society individually, as well as collectively. We, people had time to wait for answers and then they had time off of work because they didn't, not because they wanted to, but because they had to, but you had time to really see what was important. And you realize that maybe bitching and moaning about your new Tesla is low on the totem pole of things, right? Okay. So time, I guess, would be my first one. Um, Second one would be family, because it really showed me what's important. We get so, as as an individual anyway, I, I get so busy with work and school and studies and every other thing that I've been doing in my life that you forget, not intentionally, but you sometimes forget that you know there's other people in your world and i think i was i took this year to really focus on some of that family time for me and i know others that did as well yeah um whether it was staying home more often and don't get me wrong there was other problems with other people not in my world but i you know there's been issues with domestic violence and everything we highlighted before but most people for the most majority of people i think they realize that Family is important because who are you going to rely on when shit hits the proverbial fan? It's going to be mm-hmm. your local family. So time, family, and um, it's hmm, another good one. This is hard. I just say probably um, underappreciated would be the next one. Wow. So I would say that the the gravity of this pandemic was completely underappreciated by I think millions of people, including myself. Uh, but it's also underappreciated by the, the people who were there when we needed them, like the people working at the grocery store and the gas station and not the healthcare workers. I mean, yeah, we were there, but I'm talking the other the groups of people, right? And it was also, I think the government underappreciated the value of our willingness as a society to do what was right. Yeah. And they mandated that we do stuff that we otherwise, you know, eventually wouldn't have followed along with. The two weeks to slow the spread thing was okay. When it became a month and when it became two months and now it's going on a year, that's a little 
oppressive. Yeah, we're underappreciated. Yeah, so we're I think we as as a group are underappreciated by the yeah. government. So underappreciated would be my other word. It, it's funny because you know the other one, the other word I would have I could have put in there, and I th- I know you can relate to this mm-hmm. is school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as I love hanging out with my kids, I we're, do we're not back, necessarily man. We're love. Back. We're back. What? We're back in school full time. Um, my two youngest go in the mornings. They go from eight to noon. Nice. Half days. Um, uh, yeah. two, two days a week for my son. Really? Thursday, Friday. Now maybe that will increase. Yeah. It's we're hoping they're, they're talking but about it. It puts some perspective as far as school goes, because honestly I'm not their school teacher. Right. And I sure don't want to be doing their schoolwork <laughs> with them. I do. I help them. But I really don't want to. Nah. It really, it really, you can sit here and go, man. But, you know, I don't necessarily have any sympathy for school teachers. Only I do. They have to put up with my kids when I'm not there. First off, they hadn't put up with any kids in over a year. But prior to that, they had to put up with my kids. I understand why Correct. they want to so fucking prior, vacation. So prior to that, sure. But I'm saying, you know, when they're working from home, trying to focus kids over Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the same because parents are in the background going, come on, but if I wanted to be, but <laughs> once again, if I wanted to be a school teacher, I would have been a school teacher. Right. That's no, I definitely not was not designed passion. to teach. I wasn't designed to teach. I was designed to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not it's a teacher. It's not my passion. It's just not. No. So God so, yeah, bless. I do appreciate, I do appreciate the teachers when they're caring for my kids in school, but I haven't really appreciated them so much when they are, I mean, we're frontline workers. Right. And they're going to be frontline workers one year after the fact. Right. With the opportunity to get vaccinated. Right. You know, and the data doesn't show that children are are necessarily catching COVID in record copious amounts of, you know, kids. True. I mean, you can ask any you can ask any hospital system, you know, how many how many um Children that they probably have, it'd probably be very little. Well, probably. Who cares? Just saying. Who cares? <laughs> well, hey, man. I just thought that was nice. I like, you know, I like, you know, I like saying stuff like that. So <laughs> the who cares thing or the, the teachers are underappreciated? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think more so the, uh, the reflection. Yeah. Because we are coming up under that year. Yeah. Mark. No, it's kind of a good time to, to look at Even the though gravity. technically we are beyond the year mark. Well, yes. December would have been. me and you. Yeah, well, more right. so November. We, more so November. But we know the reality. But I'm taking, I'm talking about when we took this, we as a country took this seriously. Yeah. You know, it's coming up on March or whatever it was the. March 12th, 15th. I think it is. And I have to admit, you know, before we, before we go, I have to admit it was quite remarkable. I don't know who the who the groups were that developed all these sayings, or where like all all of a sudden there was stickers and shit all over floors, telling me what six feet was. There was measurement <laughs> numbers, like, and it happened literally. It felt like overnight. You know, we went from I can't get you know food in the grocery store to the next time I go to the grocery store. There's stickers and directional signs and. Yeah, you know they could have just put something on poster board. If we were a nurse, they would have put some glitter and glue, put a poster board up. Oh yeah, but they had say six feet away. Professional, they had professional signs printed, stuck on the floor. 
They had legit stuff, man. They had a lot of And then someone de- some advertising company had to develop the 15 days to slow the spread. Like that had to come out of a a meeting somewhere. That didn't just show up. Yeah. You know. So, uh power to those people for coming up with some craziness. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Again, make sure you rate us. Send us an email, info at medicallyunbiased.com. Check us out on Twitter, Medically Unbiased, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Medically Unbiased. Visit our website at medicallyunbiased.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Medically Unbiased. Listening to this podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship. The Medically Unbiased podcast is for general information purposes only. Thanks for listening.